Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. Well, amen. A very happy Lord's Day to each of you. This is a joyous day as we get to celebrate the Resurrection Sunday, not that we don't celebrate it each and every Lord's Day. As we celebrate his birth, his life, his death, his crucifixion, and yes, indeed, his resurrection, as we just sang, he rose, death, and the grave are conquered. Amen and amen. If you join me in Hebrews chapter 12, will be in verses 1 through 17 as we are continuing our study through the book of, of Hebrews. And we come to perhaps some of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, absolutely in the book of Hebrews, and some of my personal favorite verses in all of Scripture. You see, when Christ died upon Calvary and said it was finished, we entered into a race. It was as if though when he said it's finished that a gun was shot and the race of faith for every Christian began. That includes you and I. And those days where in between the crucifixion and the resurrection were somber, dark days, but when they went to the tomb and Christ had risen, what did they do? What did the apostles do but run to the tomb? One was a little bit faster than the other, and he's made sure we all knew about it. But the race begun then. It's a race that you and I are endeavoring in today. It's a race that some of us grow weary in, don't we? It's why we look forward to days such as this, even though it's no different on a calendar, it's the Lord's Day, just like every, every other Lord's Day. But we grow weary, don't we? But it's a race, nonetheless. There's a race set before us, these verses will teach us. And the race of faith, I believe, is what we're going to see in these verses as you look there towards your outline. Our main theme, our main point that we'll see is this. The race of faith is indeed a race. Let us run. What I mean by that is it's indeed a race. Many of us grow weary. Many of us feel weighed down at times. And that's why we look forward to a Resurrection Sunday, that shock of hope jolting through our veins where we can run again. But it's a race nonetheless, even though we grow weary. But some of us are weary not from the plights of this world, from anxieties, from worries, but some of us are, are not tired from the race, but tired of running the race. And indeed, we will see that this race of faith is a race. Let us run it. Let us run it well. So join me as we read over our text this morning before we dive in to see what the Lord would have to say to us on his day. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single mill. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Father, it's our prayer that we would see our life as this race. A race that you have set us on. A race that you are allowing us to continue in. That you're strengthening us in it. That as we come into this fellowship, that's exactly what we're doing. We're running this race together and we're starting this week in your word to be encouraged and to be reminded that you alone provide us hope. You alone are the reason why we can run the race of faith. Faith in you and of your finished work that didn't end on Calvary. So Father, would you shape our hearts even now to this message? Would you rightly apply it to us, Holy Spirit? If we're weary, would this be the wind in our sails? If we're lackadaisical, would it be the, the encouragement, the exhortation we need? But in all of it, would we see you, Jesus? 
would be encouraged by you, for you. We pray all of these things in your name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So the race of faith is one that requires something from us. That word requires sometimes can prickle our flesh, can it? When we see requirement, it's tough. It's uh, a grind at times. There's grit involved. But surely this race of faith is one that requires something of us. In the first place, we'll see the race of faith requires outward recognition. We'll see this in verses one through three. Read along with me, starting in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This chapter, chapter 12, is really a conclusion to chapter 11 that we walk through. The hero hall of faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, by faith, by faith. And what the apostles are drawing our attention here to is that we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. The literal literal translation of the word cloud of witnesses is actually a great crowd. It's as if though you're walking through a crowd and you can't even hold your elbows out because you're so surrounded by people, but he's showing us this metaphorically in this beautiful imagery of a cloud. It's as if though you're, I don't know if you've ever been hiking and you get up to a precipice of a mountaintop and you just feel like the clouds are hugging you and surrounding you. This is what he's talking about in this race of faith. Letter A, do not fail to recognize those who witness you run the race. There are those who are witnessing your run to the race right now. There is those that have gone before you that have run this race of faith and dependence on Christ, and they have run well. Some have laid down their lives for the very thing that you believe that we're gathered here today for, and they're witnessing your race. Is your endurance, is your striving one that they would be proud of? Is it one that you would want them to see? Is it one that you would want your God to see. Don't forget to recognize in an outward recognition in this race of faith are those that watch you. Now, this metaphor of a race we'll see all throughout this morning, and we have to understand here quickly that this race of life, you've often heard it talked about as a marathon. Have you ever said that? It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Well, while that is true, what the apostles have here in mind is not a race that's a marathon, but absolutely a sprint, one that requires us to run vigorously. It's one that there is absolutely a finish line. There is one that we will be, a race that we'll be proud of or one that we will not be proud of. And in this, we must recognize those who witness our race. But letter B, as we continue in verse 1, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us is one of faith, is belief in God. Every one of those heroes in the Heroes Hall of Faith did not receive what was promised, the coming Messiah Christ. If you are in Christ, you have already received what was promised and you run in light of that. But as in any run, you must run light. If you're going for a run, which I am not a runner, even though I might have the body type for it, I am not a runner. But everything I understand from the Millers who are runners and my wife who is a runner, I'm more of a walker, is you want to run light. You wear light clothes or light shoes, you run lightly. Now, what are the things that weigh us down? 
in our race. What are the things we must recognize? We saw in the text is every weight and sin. The weight. Anxiety. Desire to control. Despair. These weights that you unnecessarily heap on yourself, the race of faith, of one being faithful to God, of loving God the Father, of trusting Christ's sacrifice on Calvary for your sins is tough enough as it is. But is it not true, friends, that we so often in our race, as if though we had a weighted vest that we put on ourselves that you see endurance runners train themselves with, we heap on that vest of weights that are unnecessary. Letter B, you must recognize and cast off any impediments to, the, to run the race, any impediments. You see that the impediments that we have are not just the weights of this world, but also sin. The sin that clings so closely, the sin that we desire because it's so comforting to us. In a race is not a sprint where you're running as hard as you can. Is it not tiresome? Is it not draining to the body? Is it not uncomfortable? There's a reason why we desire sin so much because it is pleasing to our flesh. What is the sin that is clinging so closely to you this morning, causing you to run the race of faith poorly? What is that sin that clings so closely that it feels as if though it's gum on the bottom of your shoe you can't get off? Is it pride, lust, covetousness, anger? All of these things we know Scripture tells us to put far away from us, not just because it's thou shalt, but because it's for your good to run the race well. You see, these weights cause us to be weary, don't they? Our sin causes us to be tired in this race. This is why verse, verses 2 and 3 give us the remedy for our soul in the race. Because as we have this outward recognition in the race of looking at those witnesses that ran faithfully before us and learning how they cast off their impediments, we have the best news as we outwardly recognize we see it in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder, the one that gave you faith to believe in the first place. We saw this in Ephesians. We see it all throughout Scripture. We saw it all throughout the book of Hebrews. But he is also the perfecter. And the race that you run, make no doubt about it, Christian, it is to perfect your faith in Christ. It is to grow it, to enliven it, to sharpen it as gold is cast under extreme temperatures and it refines it so your faith is being refined by this race that you are running. But you look to Jesus. Why? Why do we look to Jesus? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You look to Jesus. 
because he ran this race of faith before you. Do not grow weary. Recognize Jesus was the forerunner to the race you run. Let her see that Jesus is the forerunner. He ran this race of faith before you. Why is that good news to you? Because he shows you the way. In this sprint, you see that Christ sprinted towards the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? The cross of Calvary. Obedience to the will of the Father. And pouring out the most precious blood ever spilt. And redeeming and ransoming sons and daughters of which we are back to the Father. It's why we can celebrate on this Lord's Day, because the cross was not the finish line, but he rose. And because he rose, if we are united with him in a death like his, certainly we will be reunited in a life like his. We will be resurrected with him as Christ was resurrected and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will resurrect us not just on that day, but every single day that you grow weary in this race. Why can we run with endurance? It says that we're to run with endurance in the text. Why? Why do we sprint and pour ourselves out every single day? Because our endurance is not of our own. We look to Christ and we draw our sustenance and our endurance from him. You don't hold anything back in this race of faith. You live vicariously and boldly as you proclaim the gospel, as you live the gospel, as you love Christ, as you love your neighbor. Why? Because Christ, as you look to him, ran this race before you, showing you how to do it, and he will surely give you the endurance needed to continually sprint every single day. Are you tired in this race of faith? If you're tired in the race of faith, I would submit that more often than not, not always, more often than not, you are tired. Not from doing the Christian life and you just need a break and you need rest, but you're tired because you're trusting in yourself and not resting and looking to Christ every single day. To be the wind in your sails. The, faith, the race of faith requires outward recognition. It is indeed a race of faith. If you're genuinely tired from suffering, from a loss of a loved one, from the year and a half that's been COVID, of the anxieties, of the pressures of this world, if you're just tired, don't forget that this is a race. You will be tired. And just as runners train their bodies, we as Christians not only train our bodies, but our minds to be objective and understand that this life will have trials. This life will have trouble, but what? We can take heart. Why? Because Christ has overcome. Even if that biggest weight of that anxiety or worry, the thing you're trying to control actually consumes you or you can't control and it spirals out of control, you don't get that job. That loved one never is reconciled back to the family. If that disease that you're worried about for that loved one actually overtakes them to the point of death, we can take heart because Christ has overcome because the grave has lost its sting in Christ. 
in this race of faith, we can't just run as runners looking down at the sidewalk just like at our feet, but we have to lift our eyes and look around us and see and partake in this great race of faith and realize in this race of faith, we're not running alone. You're not isolated unless you're isolating yourself. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the fellowship of faith around you and you set your eyes forward towards Calvary and the cross and you run with endurance, the race set before you. And we remember each and every Lord's day that because of the resurrection of Christ, we have hope, we can run, we can sprint and pour ourselves out because Christ we ref- will refill us. He is the living bread. He is the well that will never run dry. He says, if you are thirsty, come to me all who are thirst and I will satisfy. This race of faith requires outward recognition. But in the second place, the race of faith also requires inward reflection. Perhaps this is one that you do well of your inwardly reflective. If you have a more perceiving personality type, perhaps you're more outwardly reflective of the world and taking in, or if you're more like me, you're a little bit more inwardly reflective. We see this in verses four through 11. Pick up with me in verse four. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is a encouragement to the Hebrews of whom the apostles are writing to. They have struggled. If we remember back, they have lost their homeland. They have lost their sacrificial system. They have lost their priesthood and they are struggling. And yet there's a correlation made here between not just the struggle of the outward struggle they endure, but also the struggle of their sin. So for us in the first place, letter A, reflect on your struggle against your sin as you run. This is what the apostles are encouraging these Hebrews to do. Now, it may seem like a paradox that you can be encouraged by focusing on your struggle against sin. I've said in plenty of enough counselings or coachings or across the table from you, or I experience it myself and know that if we focus so long on our sin, we grow weary. Our flesh faints. But notice it's a reflect on your struggle against sin, your fight. The question is not, are you sinning and falling short? The cross outs us all in that. There's grace for that. But in the race of faith, in the fight of faith, the question, the focus, the inward reflection must be on our fight. You've seen someone in a fight, you know if someone's been in a fight. They might have bruised knuckles or a bloody lip, black eye. In your struggle against sin, do you look as if though you've been struggling? How is this an encouragement? I thought Hebrews was a letter of encouragement. It certainly is. If we remember Romans 8, 17, if you suffer with him, you will reign with him. If we suffer with Christ, Yes, maybe an outward persecution like these Hebrews were facing, but also if you suffer to the point of denial and your struggle against sin, you will reign with Christ is the promise. So catch this. I, I don't want us to miss this. This is a beautiful truth and something that set on me 
in the most beautiful way this week. Think about this. If you were the apostles writing a letter back to you or someone you know that was discouraged and you're seeking to encourage them, would you talk about their struggles and sin? Probably not. But what we're about to see here that's going to unfold in these next couple of verses is the result of this struggle, this fight of faith. And what he is saying, he's taking the most difficult thing in the Christian life, suffering, and he is saying that that indeed is a blessing. That affliction is a blessing of God in our race. But that's to come. Continue with me in verse five. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Here we see a quote from Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. This is an exhortation. He's reminding us in our struggle against sin, we can't forget who we are. We cannot forget our identity. Letter B, reflect on your sonship as you run. Reflect on your sonship. Verse five, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We cannot forget our identity. Discipline does not feel good. In our struggle against sin, if you have been a parent or if you have been under the discipline of a parent, you know that it is a loving reproval. They are trying to train you towards righteousness. That is their biblical mandate to do as a parent. That is your biblical mandate. In your race of faith, when you're running this sprint, don't forget that if you feel burdened by sin and you feel like God is just disciplining you and he's got his heavy hand upon you and it's that as if though God is mad at you, you have forgotten your identity in Christ. If you look at God in that manner as a Christian, you have forgotten that the wrath of God, all the anger of God was poured out on the Son, Christ, in your place. And now you have been adopted into the family as a son or daughter. And now what remains for you is the love of God that disciplines you. It is a beautiful depiction of what we get to enter into. That's why verse 7 says it is for discipline that you have to endure. In this race of faith, you need discipline. And we'll see this, what I alluded to earlier here, of why we need discipline. As verse 8 says, if you're left without discipline, you are illegitimate. So if your flesh wants to get out underneath the discipline of God, the only way that actually happens is if you're no longer in the family. We understand that in our minds, but oftentimes we lose sight of that in the moment, don't we? When we're running hard and we're trying to disciple well, when we're trying to lead our wives and family worship, when we're trying to share the gospel faithfully in our workplace, when we're just trying to make that grade and get through school so that way we can get that job, sometimes that discipline for our sin just feels like just a, another slap in the face just another log on the fire, just another reason of why we have the right to be downcast or melancholy, doesn't it? 
when we forget, it's because our Father loves us. Take, for example, if you're not even just a parent, but a human being, you see someone out in traffic, would you not call out and perhaps in a terse voice, out of traffic, watch out, don't do that. Sometimes the most difficult sounding things that comes from our Father is the most loving because every time we go into sin and we enter into and we veer from that course, that race that is set before us, we enter into paths of danger to snares that don't only snare us and cause us to stumble but lead us ultimately to death. if we were to reflect on our sonship as we run, is an encouragement to us even in discipline because we know that our Father loves us. Some of you have not yet entered into a season where the only love of God you feel is his discipline. Some of you have. Some of you are in that season right now. You're running the race of faith perhaps poorly and the only love you feel is discipline. It's why one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 23, it's his rod and his staff, they guide me as a faithful shepherd. When sheep go astray, it's not always a gentle course correction, but it is out of love. But as we reach verses 10 and 11, we get to see the culmination on, of this, on this inward reflection. As you're running this sprint, as you're thinking these thoughts to yourself of just keep going, take one more step, take another breath, I can do this. Endure, trust Christ, look to Christ. We come to these verses. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As runners train, they they beat their body into submission. Day after day, they wake up and they're trained as they hit the path and run again, as they eat healthy, as they put into their bodies the necessary things that need to be done of water, of intake to run the race well. So God is disciplining you that you may run the race well. But let her see, reflect on the result of your discipline as you run. Reflect on the result, not the current state if you're running and all you're thinking about is, I am so tired right now, how is that run going to be? It's going to be miserable. If you're running and all you're thinking about is, where is the finish line? You're going to be miserable. If you're running the race and all you're saying is, God, I just feel tired. God, where is peace going to come? God, when is respite going to come? God, why do you seem far off from me? God, you know I'm going to sin. Why can't, I, why can't I stop this habitual sin? If you're focusing on the moment, you will grow weary and tired. But that inward reflection needs to be objective, the 10,000 foot view. The result of your discipline we got to see is holiness is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Holiness. You are like your God. 
without holiness, we will see later in the text, none will see the Lord. The discipline that you're enduring right now is truly for your good. We may be able to say that all things are for God's glory and and our good, but do we believe that? Do we inwardly reflect on that in the moment? When you, ref- when you face rejection, melancholiness, anxiety, depression, despair, affliction, persecution, when you are running your race and you're experiencing these things, do you look beyond them? Or do you get tunnel vision and, and only see what's right in front of you? No, surely we look ahead. But don't get me wrong, the Christian life is not about just that day, but every day. On that day, surely you will be fully glorified and holy and be ushered into the presence of God your Father as we resurrect, as we get to celebrate on this Resurrection Sunday of our Lord and Savior's resurrection. But there are momentary rewards in the race as well. If we were but to inwardly reflect on those. As a runner, do you not... Thank the Lord often for cloud cover on a sunny day. Thank you for that cloud. What about a cool breeze on your face? What about a faithful friend that is holding a glass of water, a cup of water for you as you run? Or if you're like me, you're thankful that the race is over sometimes. There are temporary rewards as well. We need to be trained in his holiness. The rewards that we get to experience is righteousness no longer desiring things of the flesh that lead us to a further melancholiness and wearisomeness in the race. We get to run unimpeded. We get to have peace of mind and conscience. We get to have unfettered relationship with our Father because guilt and shame has been put away with because of Christ. And the guilt and shame that wants to remain because of the enemy's constantly flaming darts of arrows of saying that you are sinful If you're only inward reflecting on the moment, you're going to say, yes, I'm a liar. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer at heart. But if you don't preach the gospel by inwardly reflecting on the outcome of this race of faith, you will lose heart. If you don't remember that Christ has already overcome, so when those flaming darts come to you and the enemy in your flesh persecutes you, you can say it's far worse than that, but I'm far more forgiven. On this Resurrection Sunday, I can be reminded that although I'm sinful and although I do deserve death and although it should have been me hanging on Calvary and although if I were there on that day, I would have crucified Christ, that is, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. In this life I live, I no longer live to myself, but I live to the Son of God. What freedom is found in that race? For some of you that need to run to clear your mind, run the race of faith well in a way to clear your mind, focusing, looking to, considering Christ, your forerunner, your savior, your king. If the tomb is empty, there is no more guilt. Run unimpeded. We get to see this in 2 Corinthians 4.17. 2 Corinthians 
that our afflictions, our suffering, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. The suffering that you're running is producing for you a weight of glory. If you're in a race, in 1 Corinthians, Paul would say to run in a way to win the race. In the first century, they would wear a crown and perishable wreath or a perishable wreath, but we get an imperishable wreath. A crown set on our heads as we're co-heirs with Christ that we will cast at his feet for all eternity. So catch this. This is the beautiful part that I was alluding to earlier that set on me this week. If you are looking for peace in this race, if you are looking for a reinvigoration in the race of faith, it doesn't come by seeking for peace and trying to get out from underneath discipline or suffering. But it's a paradox that affliction actually trains us in holiness, which brings peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You cannot have peace apart from Christ. You cannot have a life of freedom from affliction apart from Christ. There is no joy apart from Christ. And the joy of Christ was to endure the cross. And the call of the Christian life is to walk into that joy of Christ and to take up our cross and follow him daily because we know that suffering produces within us the very thing we're looking for. The ability to run the race well with a peace of mind, with a smile on our face that's not plastered there out of cheap quotes or anecdotes or pithy sayings, but a heart secure in the gospel, knowing that your Savior lives and because he lives, that you can live. Live every day unto him. This is the inward reflection needed to run the race of faith well. It's indeed a race. We must run. We must continue to run. But as we do, inwardly reflect on what Christ has already done and what's awaiting you. But not only what's awaiting you, but what is in store every day for you. The race can be a beautiful race if you so desire, or it can be one tired and wearisome if you're impeded. In the third place, the race of faith requires daily revitalization Daily revitalization. That's why verse 12 starts with therefore. In light of everything we've seen in verses 1 through 11, therefore. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. This is a quote from Isaiah 35, 3. There in Isaiah, he was encouraging the people of God that if you endure, if you continue to fight, if you dig in, even though the times are difficult and you're being afflicted by the Babylonians and by the Assyrians, if you dig in, favor will come. Isaiah 35.3, you can look back at that. But why the apostles are encouraging the Hebrews and us with it today is not that if we dig in, favor will come, but that favor has already come. Christ has already come. He is our, already our faithful high priest. He is already the final sacrifice. He already is your forerunner in the faith. You have but to look back to him and see the favor you already have from God the Father and God the Son, and that will cause you to run well. This is a race. 
Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your feeble knees. Is it not true that under affliction, you can see it on people? Someone who wears their emotions on their sleeves like I do, you can see when we're tired. You can see when affliction is weighing heavy on us. Do you experience that? It feels as though your very body has a weight of the world on it. It's a false dichotomy. There is no weight. It's been removed in Christ. The weight, the burden of sin was hung on Christ, on Calvary. He was the scapegoat. And now what does he say? He says, come to me all who are weary, all who are heavy, laden, and I will give you rest for your soul, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. There is no reason for this drooping under affliction because we see even the worst thing that could happen to us in affliction and suffering, even if it comes to persecution, even if it comes to that, the worst thing that can happen to you is just another channel for God's love towards you, to sanctify you, to remind you that he loves you, to encourage you to get back in the race, to lift your eyes to the cross, to remind you of those witnesses that are running beside you, to remind you of the fellowship of faith. The worst thing that can happen to you is God's grace to you. This is why we don't wilt as Christians. This is why we don't shrink back. This is why we are properly called to exhort one another daily, as long as today is today, because we have every reason to take heart. That's why Christ says, take heart, I've overcome. Because we know we're so prone to melancholiness and being under this weight that we put ourselves under. That's why letter A, you must daily revitalize your resolve to run. Your resolve. We see it there. Strengthen. Lift. Those are imperatives. Those are action-oriented. We move past the inward reflection of thought, and now we're moving into action. In this race, what we're called to do. That's why verse 12 continues with a quote from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that many of us are familiar with. This action not only calls us to lift drooping hands and strengthen weak knees, but rather verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Rather, the race doesn't stop. The race continues. You're in a sprint. Remember from the moment that Christ said it was finished, the gun has gone off. And it may feel like a perpetual running in place at times, doesn't it? Of waking up and being in the word and being in fellowship and being in prayer and coming in to another Lord's Day and singing songs, doesn't it at times just feel repetitive? Why? Because we need it to be reminded, to worship, to pour out our lives. It's revitalization. It's why being a part of a church is not on Sundays or Christmas or Easter, but it's Every single day, you need revitalization to make paths straight. 
because we're prone to wander from that path. And that race as we're going towards the finish line, don't we easily turn to the left or the right? Don't we easily slow down? It is indeed a race. And this is what I said at the beginning, that it can feel prickly. Because some of you right now are tired. And the last thing you want to hear is someone to say, get back up and run. Some of you are feeling weary. And the last thing you want to hear on a Resurrection Sunday is that you need to do more. Don't hear that, friend. Hear me say you need to rest in your Savior by taking advantage of of the means of grace he's given you. It's a means of grace to have his word for this fellowship, for the Lord's Supper, for worship through song. It's not something that you do, it's something you get to partake in to revitalize you. No one would ever refuse a cup of water if they're running a race and dehydrated on the side of the road. Yet we as Christians, because our flesh is so deceitful, we so often reject that cup of water, whether it be in the form of encouragement or loving rebuke or calls to the fellowship. But a faithful friend would tell you the truth in love as God's word calls us to be revitalized, but we have to resolve to do so. How many of you have ever been running in a race or a marathon or a sprint or on a treadmill and you say, I'm not going to make it any further, but then you look down and you're like, I'm at 0.7 miles. I can go 0.3 more miles and I can hit a mile. I can do this. I've never been there. My wife tells me about it a lot. But don't you dig deeper. You can dig deeper. And that's just physical race. The good news is when you dig deeper in the Christian faith, you're not digging deeper within yourself. You're digging deeper within grace and God's grace that he's poured out into your hearts through Christ. You're drawing from a wellspring, not of yourself. Letter B, in your race, we'll see in verses 13 through 14. Peace with others requires daily revitalization of holiness. In your race, peace with others requires daily revitalization of holiness. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Did you see the tandem there? Did you see the tethering of peace and holiness? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. As you're running your race of faith, you grow tired and what that has an effect on your soul and your flesh. Let me say it this way. When you're under a weight of affliction, whether it's discipline from the Lord or maybe it's the impediments you're putting on of sin or weight, when you're running a race, there's a way that your soul tends to sour underneath that weight of affliction. And there's a way that your flesh begins to become more pointed your patience becomes less with those around you. Your grace towards them is shorter. You get more tired. I see a couple people shooting some looks here at some loved ones. I know I'm shooting a look at myself 
Uh, I did it this week with my wife. Why mention this seeming we're talking about a race? Why talk about others? We can't forget that we're not in this race alone, like we said earlier. We have others running beside us. And notice it's not competitors. We had witnesses. We had a forerunner in Christ. And what we have is fellow co-laborers and fellow runners alongside of us. And if you've been in fellowship for longer than three seconds, you know you can get on each other's nerves quickly. And that's even without affliction. This is why we're called to strive for peace. But peace cannot come if holiness is not primary. You cannot hope to live at peace in the fellowship of faith in the house of God if you're constantly away from the father of that family and doing what is harmful to that family. The peace that you're called to enter into comes with holiness. It's a revitalization. It's a daily resolve within your heart to say, even under affliction, God, I will pursue you. And because I will pursue you, I then have the means to love those around me. If your love for the fellowship is cold, non-existent, or even if it's vibrant, there should be an encouragement to us to further pursue holiness so that way our love may be all the more. If you're loving the fellowship well right now, I praise God for that. Continue in that. If the fellowship for you sometimes is like that uh, one relative you might see today on a holiday that you just kind of put up with, I'd encourage you to pursue even more holiness that you may love them even more. Or if it's cold and you're feeling unloved by the fellowship, let us know that we may love you well. Why? Why, why do I labor in this point? Because our Savior says the world will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. If you really want people to know that you love Christ, it's not through Facebook posts or Instagram posts or bumper stickers or quotes or all that stuff is great, praise God, but it's by your love for one another. If you want the world to see your belief in Christ on this Resurrection Sunday, show love for the fellowship because we love because he first loved us. Let her see in the final place the race of faith requires daily revitalization in this manner. The race is difficult. Avoid, that's a typo on my part, guys. I apologize. The race is difficult. Avoid bitterness by daily revitalizing, revitalizing your pursuit of grace. Avoid bitterness by daily revitalizing your pursuit of grace. See this in verses 15 through 17. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Pause. How can we fail to obtain the grace of God? If we're in the fellowship of faith, we have already obtained it. The grace is not something you can obtain as you go and you work, and we know that. You can't earn grace. But what we're talking about here is the daily grace of God. The daily grace of God. With that in mind, continue with me. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If your Bible's like mine, that's in parentheses, because what that is a quote from is Deuteronomy 29, 18, 
where Moses is talking about the affliction the Israelites are going through in the wilderness and saying, don't let any root of bitterness spring up because of this affliction. This is God's grace to us. He's shaping us. He's leading us into the promised land. So what we have to do is avoid bitterness by daily revitalizing our pursuit of grace. If your mentality under this burden of life, of affliction, of suffering, of persecution, you fill in the blank, if that creates a root of bitterness in your heart that will surely, if not plucked out by the grace of God, grow into a full-fledged plant. What do I mean by this? This is a strong admonition of what we've seen in the tail end of Hebrews 5, what we saw in Hebrews 10 of a warning against apostasy. How do those who seemingly have faith, who would say, I'm a Christian, that Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, how do they fall away from the faith? We've seen it's because they never truly had saving faith, but this is the process by which it takes place. We see this in the parable of the sowers. Of the seed that's choked out is the one when affliction or suffering in the world comes, it chokes out. If you're on this precipice of feeling like the Christian life is just about self-denial and suffering, and you're feeling like you're wanting to give up or give in, this is an encouragement to you to continue to press forward, to not allow bitterness to take hold, because those that do apostatize, this is the first step. Bitterness. If you look at your life and you're seeing all the things you don't have, that others do have, or all the afflictions that you do have that no one else has, I'm strongly encouraging you to root out that root of bitterness by obtaining grace and all the more looking at what you have to be thankful for in this race of faith. You do have a fellowship if you're here. You do have the Holy Spirit within you. You have a Savior waiting for you in glory in eternity. The race is difficult. But in those moments when we give life to those thoughts, it's okay to be sad over the life you wish you had or the things that you want. Sorrow is an emotion created by God. Our Savior Christ felt it. But if that sorrow moves to despair, it becomes distrust of God. And in that moment, you're questioning both God's goodness and his providence in your life. His goodness and his providence. And I would encourage you to take firm hold and obtain the grace that you have already received because none of us deserve anything else besides an eternity apart from our loving Savior but God being rich in mercy but God the tomb is empty but God this is why Our verses this morning close with an illustration. 
verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral. We'll see more on this next week as this is a specific issue that the Hebrews dealt with. See that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single male. For you know that afterward he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This illustration is not an illustration that someone could be genuinely repentant and not receive forgiveness. This is a faux repentance. This is a more I feel remorse than genuine repentance that I've grieved God. And this is only for those that don't have saving faith that would be apostates. This illustration is a somber way to end if we were to not look at the outcome of all of this race of faith. Because Esau did not endure. He did not have an outward recognition of the blessing that he had. He did not have an inward reflection of the grace of God in his life. And he surely didn't have daily revitalization. He sold the birthright for him to be mentioned in the lineage of the Christ for a single meal. The encouragement for us to be reminded of is what, what's on the front of this pulpit is not the end of the story, but the empty tomb is not even the end of the story. That's why we celebrate both the life, the death, and the resurrection every single Lord's Day. But the good news of all of this is that we see what we have every time we come to this beautiful word of God. And we don't treat it as paltry, as worthy, as just as a single meal. That's a grace to you. That is a grace to you that you understand the gospel. That is a grace to you that you love the Savior. It's a grace to you that he has saved you. May we not treat it as something that's just so flippant to trade for a single meal. But there is a race set before us that we sprint every single day knowing that is what is worth it is Christ. I desire for us to be a church that sees this. The resurrection is truly something to celebrate every single Lord's Day, and I go further every single day. The hope that you woke up this morning with, the joy, the looking at a loved one and saying, He is risen. And getting upset if they don't say he's risen, he's risen indeed. The joy that you have is yours every single day. If we could be a church known for that, I would praise God for eternity. And that this community would experience that love of Christ if the tomb is empty, which it is. We have every reason to rejoice every single day. I'd like to close with these verses as the encouragement. 
to go out and celebrate even further on this Lord's Day. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Praise God, that is not true. What we see here is this truth. Closing out in 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to the Lord our Savior Jesus Christ, that the victory of this race, this sprint you are running, is already secured. I pray that we would run in that. For the race of faith is indeed a race. Let us run knowing the victory is already secure because Christ is risen. Amen. Father, thank you. that you saw fit to send the Son to be the forerunner in our race, to secure the victory, to despise the shame, to endure the cross, to resurrect and sit at your right hand even now. So may we praise you for that. May this life we live be a life lived to you always. May we celebrate you on this day and every day that you have overcome. And through you, we too will overcome. Give us endurance in this race to live a life to you, to honor you, to love you, and to love the fellowship, to share your gospel, and to be your people. Father, we love you, but thank you for first loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.